Hello, and welcome once again to this seance of sound that we call Scry. I am the Seer, your host into this oral odyssey into the realms of the unknown. In this episode, I will be gazing into the obsidian mirror and calling forth four true tales of paranormal encounters, featuring deceased damsels, ancestral apparitions, and Ouija weirdness. First up, however, is a tale shared by Skipscoo07734, in which his younger brother encountered a sinister and not-so-imaginary friend. Around 1977 or 1978, my father, stepmother, and my two half-brothers moved from their house by the beach to an older rental home in central Los Angeles. My brothers were around three or four years old at the time, and I lived with my mom by the beach. The rental house had been built in the early to mid-1920s and was a typical for that era and for a Los Angeles home. I took a look up in the attic one time and was amazed. The house wiring was strung throughout the rafters and consisted of bare aluminum wiring tied to ceramic insulators. The house was more or less a square-shaped, white stucco-covered home with a detached garage that was at the rear of the house. Within a month or so of moving into their house, My father and stepmother started being woken up in the night by my little brothers playing in the dark in their room. It didn't happen every night, but it was happening at least three times a week. My father and stepmother would tell them to go back to bed, and they did. They chalked it up to my brothers being excited about living in a new home. About a month later, my stepmother heard one of my brothers talking in his room in the middle of the night and went to their room to tell them to go back to bed. She was surprised to find that only one of my brothers was awake. And when she asked him who he had been talking to, he told her he'd been talking with Ricky. Thinking that my brother was just playing around, she told him to stop talking with Ricky and go back to bed. The next day, when my brothers were playing in the living room, my stepmother asked my brother that had been sleeping while his brother was up and talking with Ricky if Ricky was the name of one of their toys. My brother told her that Ricky was the name of the man who lived in the garage and that he would knock on their window at night and ask them to come into the garage and play with him. Needless to say, that freaked my stepmother out. She spoke with my dad, and my dad checked the garage and all the locks, especially the locks on the bedroom windows, since my brother's bedroom was at the back of the house by the garage. My father and stepmother were light sleepers after that conversation, and moved quickly into my brother's room if they heard them talking at night. They checked the windows every time, but never saw anybody outside in the backyard or by the garage. About two weeks later, 
My father and stepmother were outside talking with the next door neighbor to the south. His name was Ed. Ed was a really nice guy, probably in his late 70s. He had been living in that same house since the early 1950s. During their conversation, Ed asked them how they liked the house, the neighborhood, and if they had settled in okay. They told Ed that they loved the family-friendly neighborhood and the great park nearby. My stepmother casually mentioned that my brothers seemingly had an imaginary friend named Ricky and that Ricky had invited them to play in the garage. Ed's face got pale. Ed told them that there had been a man that lived in that house in the late 50s to early 60s and that his name had been Blackie. Ed didn't know his real name, just that all the neighbors had called him Blackie and that he lived alone in the house. Supposedly, Blackie had done something to a kid, but before the police could arrest him, he'd hung himself in the garage. Yep, my father and stepmother were more than a little upset and considered moving out, but they were renting and on a new two-year lease so they opted to continue living in the house. I was around 12 or 13 at the time, so they never mentioned the conversation with Ed to me or my little brothers until after they had moved out. After maybe six months had gone by, my brothers quit playing and talking at night and began to sleep through the entire night. As I mentioned, I was not told about any of this until years later, but I used to use a bench in the garage to build my model planes while I was visiting my father, and always felt like I was being watched. It didn't help that the garage was split down the middle by a rickety wood wall that had all sorts of gaps in the wood. The ceiling was built the same way, wood with dark gaps. I always felt like someone was watching me, and when I'd turn around, all I saw was the darkness in the gaps of the wood. I would only build my planes in the daytime, and absolutely never went into the garage at night unless my dad was with me. I also never mentioned my unease in the garage to my father or stepmother until years later when they told us about Ricky. I didn't want them to think that I was weird for being scared of an empty garage. A few years went by with no sign of anything unusual happening, and my father and stepmother put the issue behind them. I still avoided the garage at night whenever I visited them. My father worked about 40 miles away and worked the midnight shift from midnight to 8 a.m. One night at around 2 in the morning, my stepmother woke up to the sound of heavy footsteps in the living room. Thinking that it was my dad, she called out to him and asked if everything was okay. Hello? Their bed's headboard was on the east side of their bedroom. There were two doorways in the bedroom with one doorway in the west wall leading directly into the living room and the second doorway in the north wall leading into the kitchen. 
My stepmother sat up and saw the dark shape of a man standing at the foot of their bed, with a dim light from the streetlight at the front of the house lighting him in silhouette. Standing next to the man was their greyhound named Arrow. My stepmother relaxed a bit when she saw their dog next to my father and asked my father if something was wrong and why he was home so early. The silhouette said nothing at all, and after about five seconds, turned to his left, walked across the room, and walked through the closed and very solid wooden door leading into the kitchen. As soon as the shape had started moving, their greyhound had turned his head and watched the man walk across the room, his head tracking him the entire time. My stepmother called my father, and he came home from work as fast as he could. They moved out of that house shortly after that, and only told me and my brothers the full story after they had moved into their new home. Thank you for sharing that tale with us. I know that I would never want to encounter Ricky. And if what your neighbor said was true, I wouldn't want to have met him in life either. From that tale of a sinister spook, we'll head to a story shared by GlockFan45, in which he encounters someone that is more than they seem to be. This isn't necessarily a creepy story, but it's strange nonetheless. I'm a quarter Native American, Lakota Sioux. My paternal grandmother was full-blooded. My girlfriend at the time was half Cherokee and wanted to go to a Native American festival that weekend. Now, I never really knew much about my ancestors from that part of the family. As my grandfather was a reverend, and discouraged my grandmother from talking about any part of her life or beliefs growing up on the reservation. Either way, we're at the festival, and the girlfriend is waiting in the line at the bathrooms, so I'm looking around at the various knickknacks and trinkets on sale by the vendors. As I'm strolling along, eyeing the displays, some motion catches my eye between the two tent stalls. I stop and turned to see an old Indian man, dressed up in period attire, raising his hands toward me. Something about him seemed off, but not in a threatening way. Actually, the off feeling was more of a tranquility, kind of a warm and fuzzy all over feeling I suddenly got standing there. He smiled and then said something in a language I did not recognize. That something was Ahawi. At the time, I had no idea what that meant, so I just awkwardly smiled and nodded out of politeness and turned to continue walking. I turned back after some distance to see that he was gone. For the rest of the day, I never gave it another thought. 
Fast forward a few days later, and I'm sitting in my grandmother's kitchen drinking a cup of coffee and visiting with her after picking up some things from her to put out in our yard sale. I mentioned having gone to the festival a few days ago, and then it dawned on me to ask her if she knew what the word the old Indian man had said to me meant. I tried sounding it out, but had a hard time remembering what exactly it was he had said. As I'm struggling sounding it out, she is watching me with wide-eyed attention and suddenly blurts out, Ahawi. Yeah, that's it, I say. What does it mean? She looks over her shoulder into the living room where Grandpa is snoring away in his recliner, then leans over the table towards me and says, It is my birth name. It means maiden with great joy. Prior to this, I had only known her Christian name and had never heard her birth name. She then quietly tells me that what I saw was not a man at all, but a spirit, and that I received a blessing that day by its visit. She said there were good and bad spirits that walked among her people, and you knew which were which by how you felt in their presence. Glockfan45 That is an awesome story. I always love these ones that have family connections, especially when they can serve as a cultural gap between an ancestor and their descendants. Before we move on to our next eerie encounter, I would like to make a quick and hopefully exciting announcement. The next episode of Scry is going to be different from our regular episodes as it will be recorded at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, which is often claimed to be the most haunted hotel in America. So that is definitely an episode you'll want to hear. And now, a word from our sponsor. podcast listeners i'm shayla and i'm terry together we host show me scares podcast as missouri natives we enjoy covering historic true crime from the area and beyond mostly stories you have probably not heard before and as far as the ghost stories go i'm from missouri so you're gonna have to show me tune in anywhere you listen to podcasts you will know why show Show me scares Welcome back to Scry. Hopefully that Crescent Hotel episode has wet your whistle for some more spooktacular tales, such as this one, shared by Dark Phoenix 13, in which he recounts an experience he had as a volunteer at a historical location. About three years ago, I volunteered at a historical society for a Halloween event. I'm a history buff, and I've always loved Halloween, so this was especially fun. The volunteers dressed in period costumes and told the haunted history of the houses that were visited during the tour. 
The event is fairly unique because the society went to great lengths to verify the historical veracity of each story. In four cases, they actually knew the name of the spirit that haunted the location visited. Some of the stories were amusing, while others were sad. But of all the locations, only one was especially active, which I can attest to. This house was constructed in the 1850s by a young lawyer for his new wife. Sadly, the man was killed during the war, leaving his wife behind. Some unpleasantness followed in her life, but she always held onto the house that her beloved husband had built for her. Her love of this house is so strong that even in death, she has never left it. During the tour, the storyteller tells her sad story, then went on to share some of the innumerable number of happenings that had occurred at the house since the historical society had begun their tours there. Several volunteers had seen a woman in a white dress wandering the house between tour visits. Then they went to check on her, and she had vanished. Many volunteers and people on the tours have reported seeing a figure peeking over the banister from upstairs while the stories are being told. The house is always empty except for volunteers on the ground floor. A number of people have reported feeling a gentle hand laid on their shoulders while listening to the stories. One young volunteer having made a mistake by dressing in a union uniform, was pinched several times for his lack of taste in a southern household. Ow. The next night, he returned properly dressed as a confederate. He was given a pat on the back by way of apology. One year, a couple volunteered. Standing in the house and out of sight, the young couple flirted a little too much. The two were startled when an invisible force came between them, putting an abrupt end to the playful touches. The message was clear. Hands off, buddy. This is not the way you treat a young woman. One of the funniest, frequently occurring happenings revolved around men wearing hats inside the house. The former homeowner seems to take a dim view on those who commit this faux pas in a woman's house. The guilty parties typically are poked or have their hats tapped pointedly until the message gets across. The spirit seems to feel a very strong bond with one particular older gentleman who volunteers each year to tell her story. One particular year, he wasn't there to tell her story to the tours, with very adverse results. The two female volunteers at the house called the Office of the Historical Society in a panic. Something was throwing stuff around the house and making all kinds of crashes and banging sounds. It got to be so bad that the veteran storyteller was called from his home 
to tell the story on the last night of the tour. The moment he entered the house, peace was restored. He has taken great care to not be absent since. As a volunteer, I entered the house about a dozen different times. I forgot to remove the hat I wore with the costume the first time, only to feel something tap the brim before I was asked to pull it off. On another visit, I saw a human shape disappear around a corner when I first entered. With the exception of the storyteller, the other volunteers were outside talking. Strange sights and sounds are normal during the tours. Each year, something happens, and the new stories are added to the collection of countless more. But the two most powerful stories are always the last ones told during your visit. Eight years ago, a tour group was standing in the hallway of the house while the storyteller, the older gentleman mentioned earlier, was preparing to tell them the story. As the group gathered in close, the storyteller noticed that one of the men on the tour was wearing a baseball cap. Without thinking, he asked the man to remove the cap. You're in a lady's home, sir. Show some proper respect. Suddenly, the tour gasped and looked up the stairs. Floating through the air is a small piece of cloth. A woman's handkerchief. The small piece of fabric glides through the air and gently comes to rest on the storyteller's shoulder. The house is searched by volunteers who report that it is empty except for those on the ground floor. The next day, the homeowners are questioned about the handkerchief. They've never seen it before and have no idea where it came from. The handkerchief is placed on display next to the stairs. It is kept on a small plate year-round, just in case the former owner has a need for it. The final story is something quite touching. If you've listened this far, I've saved the best for last. Two years before the handkerchief, the tours were proceeding normally. Once again, the gentleman stood at the foot of the stairs and shared the story of the former homeowner. But in this tour group was a woman of middle age. As the storyteller told the stories, he could see this woman becoming increasingly agitated. He continued on for a time until it was clear that this woman was very angry. At this point, he stopped and asked the woman if there was anything wrong. The woman stepped forward and began to yell at the storyteller. No! The woman was something of a spiritualist and demanded to know why the spirit of the former homeowner hadn't moved on. She doesn't belong here, the woman yelled. The storyteller answered calmly, reminding her of the hardships and heartaches the former homeowner endured to keep this house in life. Surely she could understand why the spirit would be reluctant to leave such a strong source of happiness in her otherwise very sad life. Oh, 
This only seemed to make the woman even more angry. She insisted that the dead had no business here and that they were not supposed to linger. She became even louder and more vulgar and she was soon asked to leave the tour group. But before she left the house, she pointed at the storyteller and said that she would return and drive the spirit from the house. Nothing was said about this after she left. Everyone pretty much thought she was a crackpot and just acting out. But the next day, the storyteller found out just how sensitive a nerve had been touched by the woman's threats. The next day, the storyteller received a call from the homeowner. He wouldn't speak on the phone, but wanted to meet up to discuss something that had happened. So the two met for lunch, where the owner asked if anything had happened with a woman on the tours the night before. The storyteller shared what happened. The homeowner then explained why he had called. The homeowner had returned late that evening after the tours were finished. He quickly turned in after the long day and was soon asleep. In the middle of the night, he suddenly woke to the sound of a woman crying in his bedroom. He laid for a long time, listening to the heartbreaking sound when the female voice whispered between the sobs, Please, don't let her make me leave. I want to stay. Please. The homeowner said aloud that she never had to leave. The crying faded away slowly until it ended. The middle-aged woman hasn't returned to my knowledge, and people are told bluntly when they enter the house that the house belongs as much to the former owner as it does to the current one. Dark Phoenix 13, that story is awesome. And should I ever be an earthbound spirit, I hope that nobody drives me from my home also. Next up, we will hear from Mysterium, who recounts an episode from his childhood after playing with a Ouija board. My uncle grew up in a very old farmhouse. Supposedly, years before our family owned it, a man lived there with his elderly mother. When his mother passed away, he put her body in one of the upstairs bedrooms, and it just stayed there until someone found out. Also, in this same house, my grandfather, when he was a child, remembers the house being used for wakes. By wake, I mean when someone has passed away, their body was left in the house and someone had to watch over it until they were buried. So back to the story. My uncle had a friend over when he was in his teens. Nobody else was home. They started playing around with a Ouija board in the living room. 
nothing much was happening, so his friends started badmouthing the board. All of a sudden, the necklace he was wearing broke and beads went everywhere. A little startled, they put the broken necklace on the coffee table and went to the kitchen to make macaroni. When they went back to the living room, the necklace wasn't broken. Something had fixed it. They decided to try it all again. They took the necklace apart, put it on the table, and went to the kitchen, where the water was already boiling on the stove, much sooner than it should have. Getting really freaked out now, they turned the stove off and threw the pan outside. They went back into the living room, and there was the necklace, fixed again. Oh, fuck. They walked back into the kitchen, and the pan is back on the stove, with water boiling. Creepy or what? Don't know if it's the truth or not, but to this day, my uncle won't go into that house alone. Mysterium, thank you for sharing that story with us. Longtime listeners may recall my feelings on Ouija boards and my debate on whether or not to do a session with these spirit boards on an episode. Perhaps I should drag one along to the Crescent Hotel with me, if I can convince my better half, that is. But now it's time to close the gate and banish back all things dark beyond the veil. I would like to thank everyone who has shared their stories and would like to remind all you listeners that you can submit your experiences at scrypod.com, scrypodcast at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 573-203-8668. And speaking of scrypod.com, you can now head over there and grab t-shirts, stickers, coffee mugs, and more at the scrypod.com store. All stories on Scry are purported to be true. Some music on this episode appears courtesy of Mew and Shadow Vibe and appears under a Creative Commons license. Check out the show notes for links to these fantastic artists. Our podcast recommendation for this episode is Show Me Scares. This podcast features ghost stories from around Missouri, the Show Me State. Most of you are thinking... I don't live in Missouri. Why should I listen to that? Because Missouri has an awesome legacy of ghosts. That's why. There's the Limp Mansion, Pythian Castle, the real-life case of demonic possession that inspired The Exorcist. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So check out Show Me Scares and keep the creep factor going. That's all for this episode. So we must now close the gate. And as always... Say goodbye. This is Scry.